afternoon. Uh, welcome to our today's speech, um, Professor Huang and all professors and all distinguished uh, guests. I'm uh, Kevin Liao from National Open University and the Taiwan E-Government Research Center. It's my great honor uh, to represent Taiwan Institute for Governance and Communication Research to host today's speech. Today's speech, uh, is, I think, is very uh, uh, state-of-the-art the issue, or we can call the hardest issues, uh, artificial intelligence. And also, uh, as we know that in past uh, several years, the influence of AI, artificial intelligence, has getting more and more broad to uh, more and more fields, also especially the research field, of our human society, also including uh, public administration. So uh, it's our honor uh, to invite uh, Professor Justin Bullock to deliver today's speech. Uh, today's topic is uh, artificial intelligence, discretion, and uh, bureaucracy. This is the second speech of Professor Bullock in uh, National Jiangsu uh, University. And I, I think, uh, uh, as the, the, the first time uh, speech, um, more, many guests has a uh, very uh, exciting and uh, get more interaction with Professor Bullock. I think today's speech will also give us uh, many insightful uh, thoughts and the insightful uh, thinking uh, according his speech. Uh, Justin uh, Bullock, Professor, is uh, graduate from uh, the University of Georgia School of Public and International Affairs, and uh, his his specialization is in public management and public policy. He is a uh, assistant professor in LM in Texas of United States, and he also uh, is the visiting scholar in Taiwan Institute for Governance and Communication Research. Now. So let us give our warmest welcome to Professor Bullock to today's speech. Welcome. Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, very nice to be in front of you all again today. Uh, if you were at my first talk, you'll notice a significant departure in topics today. If you were able to make it to Dr. Yu Che Chen's talk on artificial intelligence a couple weeks ago, you'll see some overlap, but uh, some going in a little bit of a different direction. So I'm going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, discretion, bureaucracy, and a term that some co-authors and I come up with called artificial discretion. And the point of what I'm going to be delivering you to you today is both to to try out to lay out a theoretical framework for the interaction between intelligence, artificial intelligence, and how decisions are made within organizations. Both looking at how organizations are structured and how discretion is used within those organizations. So I'm going to throw a lot at you. Um, so I'm going to try to leave about 30 or 40 minutes for questions at the end. Please ask questions. I really enjoy having them back and forth with you. So if there are parts that are confusing or that I run past that you want to know more about towards the end, definitely have some questions ready for me. Um, so again, the topic is artificial intelligence, artificial discretion, and governance. 
The work that I'm going to be covering today is some of my own work uh, that actually just went online yesterday, published for the first time online, so I was excited about that. And some uh, work with some colleagues, Matthew Young at Syracuse University, who's an assistant professor there, and an associate professor at Arizona State University, Jesse Lacey. So first let me begin, as, as I did last time, uh, with a few words of thanks. Uh, thank you so much to you all for being here today and taking time out of your Wednesday at lunch to come listen to me talk about artificial intelligence when you could be anywhere else, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you to Professor Shri Huang for the invitation to be a visiting professor here for the summer at uh, National Shang-Chi University, and to the, Institute, the Taiwan Institute for Governance and Communication Research for the fellowship and for hosting me. Uh, it's been a wonderful stay in Taipei. My wife and I, uh, me over here on the front, uh, front row, have been having a wonderful time. So uh, thanks for all of your hospitality and, again, for being here today. Okay, so last time uh, when I gave my first talk for the summer, we talked a little bit about motivations and how public employees are motivated either similarly or differently from private sector actors. We're going to go in a completely different direction today, and we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and how decisions are made within administrative organizations more generally. Hitting on two of my uh, main topics of research, and this has really been the direction I've been going for the last couple of years. Um, so I'm really excited to share this work with you. As I mentioned earlier, and just if you want to see more about these topics, uh, this paper, Artificial Intelligence, Discretion and Bureaucracy, is just posted online as of yesterday, um, so you can have access to that through the university libraries. I noticed a couple of edits that have to be made in that, so, but it is out there for you to see. The other paper is Artificial Discretion as a Tool of Governance, a Framework for Understanding the Impact of Artificial Intelligence on Public Administration. That will be part of a special symposium that's coming out in Perspectives on Public Management and Governance in December, so you can follow along with both of those papers if you want more details. This talk really incorporates both of these papers. The first paper uh, lays out more of some of the questions that uh, public administration needs to wrestle with, lays out a framework for the interaction between intelligence and decision making and systems level bureaucracies and how information communication technological tools more generally have been altering how government's delivered and poses some, again, some questions that we need to think about and the artificial discretion is where we dive into giving, trying to give public managers a little bit more of a framework for understanding how to navigate the use of artificial intelligence within governance. So three theoretical points um, that I want you to keep in mind that I'm not going to come back to, but as you think about how much of this argument you believe and questions you have with it, um, in the first paper, I make a few assertions about the role of intelligence and decision-making and administration. And these three I want you to kind of keep in your head as I move forward. First, intelligence, which I'm going to define in the way that physicist Max Tegmark uh, defines intelligence as the ability to accomplish complex goals. Intelligence means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That's what I'm going to mean when I use intelligence throughout this talk. It's also executing, as part of that, it's executing tasks that have some level of complexity and some level of uncertainty associated with them. So in that way, they're not just deterministic. It doesn't just go directly from A to B to C. There's some level of deviation from normal routines, and there's some level of statistical uncertainty in the outcomes. Right? And I argue uh, that intelligence is one of the raw materials for making good decisions. 
there's a litany of research on how broadly IQ is a broad measure of ability to solve problems. And so intelligence itself is going to be related to the ability to make quality decisions. And the reason that this is important is because artificial intelligence is different from the brain, it's different from biology, it's a mechanical form of intelligence. So core to this argument is that intelligence is substrate independent. And what I mean by that is the human brain can solve problems and machines can solve problems. I'm just trying to have some common language to talk across these concepts for you. And the other piece of this is that computing power and artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence in its current form through statistical machine learning um, is seeing kind of a, a renaissance, a revolution of being able to solve lots of problems that computers couldn't solve in the past. And computer scientists and technologists argue pretty convincingly, I think, that computing power is unlikely to stop improving over time. So I work on this assumption that artificial intelligence is likely to continue to improve over time. And there's really good evidence that it should continue to improve over time. Okay, so as uh, the professor mentioned, artificial intelligence, uh, advances in artificial intelligence have been gaining, uh, gaining attention both by governments and business. If you've maybe been under a rock and not looking at the news, maybe you missed this, but anytime you turn on the news or read the newspaper, it seems like we're talking about advances in artificial intelligence, the way businesses are making their production lines more efficient with artificial intelligence, and governments who are usually a little slow and lag on technological adoptions are really starting to talk more seriously about this. Just as an example, deep fakes were in the news, the world news the last couple days because there was a film of Mark Zuckerberg that had been edited to make him look like he was the property of Spectre, right? And um, so the news has been really talking about deep fakes and the role that artificial intelligence goes into manipulating videos is just one of many examples. In the US, um, uh, there are a number of examples of artificial intelligence becoming important to governance. These show up in the papers as well. Um, first is Simon. Simon is an artificially intelligent robot that is currently in the International Space Station and it is there partnering with astronauts, astronauts from NASA to help them complete their research. So just one kind of fun example. In the United States we have the General Services Administration and they have been working to partner with a number of US federal agencies to develop intelligent personal assistance to help improve the quality of customer service by the US federal government. Policing is one and an example that I'll come back to where uh, there's uh, some work in the US, some work in China as another example, uh, in particular in the Los Angeles uh, Police Department. Uh, Andrew Ferguson has a book on this it talks about the role that predictive policing is starting to play in surveillance and how we police populations. This one has some really maybe concerning ethical issues that we'll come back to, but just another example of these tools being used in governance. Um, the U.S. has had two other reports that uh, come out, one under the Obama administration in 2016 and one under the Trump administration that really highlight the potential impact of AI for the uh, economy and for governance. This first report was signed off by a number of high-ranking officials and highlights the role automation is already beginning to play in the U.S. economy and how some of those same types of tasks are completed by government and that this, is, uh, this 
role of automation as one way in which AI is impacting both society and governance is something that we need to start thinking about. It's playing a, lot, a large role in the economy. Estimates um, are that we'll continue to automate a lot of jobs as we move forward. The other one that was just very recently here back in February uh, from the Trump administration was an executive order uh, titled Maintaining American Leadership in AI, where they lay out a number of ways in which um, which American influence and artificial intelligence continue to grow and add to the conversation. Things like investing more resources in research and development, things like creating more structured databases that are easier to train these models on, things like lowering communication barriers among industry individuals, those within the government, um, and a few other examples. So just this highlights, uh, in case you weren't aware, that not only is artificial intelligence kind of been coming, it's already here, and very high-level agencies, at least in the U.S. Um, and in China, are beginning to use these and talk about them. So at the same time, governments uh, have been you know, utilizing information, communication technologies more and more. So traditionally, in public administration, we've thought of organizations as having what we call street-level bureaucrats. Right, street-level bureaucrats is just a fancy term for those that are on the ground that you interact with day-to-day -day from the government. You can think of firefighters, police officers, nurses, teachers, caseworkers, insurance agents, a whole litany of people who deliver the services on the ground. And public administration scholars, uh, by about the late 90s and early 2000s, were noticing a shift. That not only was that part of it, but a lot of the decision-making was going on from just databases and behind computer screens. So we're seeing a shift from people just being on the ground to making decisions in their office while typing away at their computers. And then in the early 2000s, um, uh, these two authors, Bovins and Zordis, in 2002, suggested that information communication technology tools were moving past this advisory role. They were actually starting to make and execute decisions. Okay, and the two examples they used are um, one, the determination of student loans, which is a, an area where there's a clearly defined formula. The formula is, is uh, the data is put in, the formula makes decisions about how much money students receive. No longer did you go meet with someone in their office and they take in all of your paperwork and ask you questions, you filled out an online form, you submitted it, a determination is made. Right? So in that case, there's essentially no human interaction there. It's just you and the computer and the program making decisions. Another was in the ticketing process, and the example the authors used uh, was in the Netherlands where um, we had the first examples of installing uh, cameras and red lights. You run a red light, the ticket shows up in the mail. All right? Here was another example with it where unless you protested it, that there was really no human interaction in this. It takes a picture, the picture is able to figure out what your uh, match the license plate with your address, determine the amount of the ticket, and send it to you. Okay, so these were two examples where not only were people on the street not making decisions, there's no people involved in these decisions often. And um, the idea is that these databases and these software and computers and these ICT, these information communication technology tools, were getting more and more better, but they still couldn't handle these complex and uncertain tasks. Both of these tasks I just mentioned are pretty straightforward. There's eligibility determination, do you, are you qualified or are you not qualified, yes, no, boom, okay? But these tools are starting to be able to make decisions in more complex and uncertain environments. So 
what is artificial intelligence? Um, this is a big term that means a lot of different things to a lot of people, and as I started researching this, turns out that the people that study it, the computer scientists, they don't agree. Um, so there's a lot of ambiguity when we go from just regular software or a expert system to something that is using more large data and statistical inference to make better decisions. Um, and it's often associated with data, algorithms, trying to identify causal relationships between different variables, can make predictions, or accomplish semi-complex tasks. In the literature on AI, there's a, a distinction between what is known as narrow AI and general AI. Narrow AI is the ability to train an algorithm or an artificial intelligence on one type of task, one type of task, and that it can learn the decision weights and the decision-making process of a specific task. But then it's not able to transfer that like you can as a human over into other domains. That would be general AI. And in, and, and in general, we haven't gotten general AI yet. Uh, Google with DeepMind is starting to make some of the first moves, arguably, into general AI, depending on how you think about it. But for, for broad purposes, you can think of AI as being trained to accomplish one type of task, not being able to solve lots of things like you can as a human. AI has also changed over time from when it was first being conceptualized all the way back in the 1950s, really, under Alan Turing and coming up with the Turing test. As computers were able to store more and more information, we had this explosion of expert systems, which is essentially coding in a bunch of if-then statements. If you do this, then you should do that. Um, the people at the time, um, as, uh, as, um, as you can see looking back at the works, really thought this was going to solve everything. So we need to keep that in mind, too, as we're talking about some of the potential of AI. But expert systems really ran into some limits in their ability to handle situations that you couldn't say, if A, then B, then C, okay? So over time, uh, the ability for computers to store more information and have increased computing power and more advanced statistical techniques being able to be implemented in computers, we have machine learning, all right? And without going into all the details and all the different forms of machine learning can take, it essentially is the ability for, to, uh, for the computer to be able, you feed in a bunch of raw data, say the classic example is think of a cat, right? You got a bunch of pictures with a cat and a bunch of pictures without a cat, all right? And then the, the statistical algorithm is able to identify all the features that determine what is a cat without them being explicitly coded in there, okay? So the, the machine is able to learn the decision weights, it's able to learn the parameters of how to identify something. So to, to give you a definition, what we use in our paper is AI is any domain-specific agent-based system using machine learning techniques as opposed to the expert systems to make a rational decision pertaining to non-deterministic tasks. Okay, that's a mouthful. But essentially, we're talking about machine learning when it can be applied to a situation when, which isn't just straightforward if A, then B, then C. There's some level of statistical uncertainty associated with an outcome. So given the, the nature of artificial intelligence of the machine learning variety, we argue that AI has three important, uh, there are three important features of AI for the ways in which it can be used by government. 
The first is uh, it is built for automating the learning and decision-making process through abstract mathematical representation. All right, this is again learning the decision weights, learning how to identify things in pictures and videos and find them on its own. It's this whole learning process. The other thing it can do is it can utilize input data with speed and dimensionality that vastly outstrip human cognition. So it's able to process large and large amounts of data and help organize it much more quickly than humans can. The other piece of this is unlike the expert systems, as more, uh, as more data become available, it can learn and adjust its behavior and update its decision heuristics. So as you feed it more data over time, it is able, it's flexible enough to update its own decision-making heuristics. Okay, so to think about artificial intelligence and to think about discretion, we, and we think quite cleverly, come up with a, a new term, which is something academics like to do, assign new terms to things that then they can claim, um, is this idea of artificial discretion. Artificial discretion is when we use artificial intelligence to augment, to help, or to automate the decision-making process, okay? So it's either replacing, which is the most extreme version of it, or it's providing decision-making aids or additional information to humans as they're making decisions. Artificial discretion can be used in three ways that mirror the three characteristics that I was just mentioning. So it can create structured data from unstructured inputs like images, sensors, and text. So another part of the computing revolution is the uh, wide availability and sensitivity of sensors. So you can think uh, uh, about things being put out in the actual physical environment to measure things. And in that way, AI is able to take that data and, and structure in a way that is useful. It's able to leverage large and multi-dimensional data sets to identify patterns, generate new insights, or make accurate predictions. So it can take data from sensors, bring it together, and organize it in a useful way. And it can take that data or administrative data or other types of data that are already organized and, and better find the actual underlying relationships and causal structures of that data. And essentially do, if you're familiar with these statistical techniques, very advanced factor analysis. Okay? The third thing that it can do is actually eliminate human discretion and automate it. And in this situation, um, we have a, dis a task that was first being done by a human, with human discretion, that has now been turned over to a machine, or turned over to an AI to make the decision or execute the task. So these are three ways that artificial intelligence in the form of artificial discretion can change, uh, augment, alter how, change, how decisions are made within government, how discretion is used to provide services by the government. But when people think about this, they've often talked about this as either all good or all bad, right? This is going to come through, it's going to make our business processes, our government much more effective, much more efficient. We're going to remove the pesky humans who make all these mistakes. That's wonderful. It'll solve all the irrationalities in government. Great, wonderful. Or there's these dystopian ideas, right? This idea that this has to be awful, that soon we're going to have the robot overlords from Terminator and Skynet making all our decisions in life, and then when it decides we're not important anymore, not only does it automate the jobs, it just does away with us because we're obnoxious, right? And 
my hope is that you take away from this a little bit more nuanced understanding of the ways in which artificial intelligence we need to worry about in some applications and ways in which it might be simple and useful in other applications. So I'm going to try now to give you a theoretical framework for thinking about when it might be a good idea to use artificial intelligence and when it might be not such a good idea. And then what types of the ways in which artificial intelligence can be used. Is it good to use automation? Is it good to use taking data that's already there and finding some relationships from it? Or is it good to use it for sensors and bringing in external data and organizing it? Right? And the way we try to organize this for people to think about uh, what types of tasks should artificial discretion be used for and what types of artificial discretion should be used is along two important dimensions. The first is the degree of discretion that is uh, required in the decision-making process, right? We're going to think about this in low, medium, and high. And essentially, this is a function of how complex is the task and how often does it deviate from normal procedures. So think about the tasks I mentioned earlier of uh, benefit eligibility for student loans and whether or not you ran a red light. Those require very little discretion in making determinations about what the outcome is supposed to be, at least theoretically. Do you meet the eligibility? Is this kind of a step A, step B, step C? Should it be a ton of deviations from the norm? And the decision-making process for deciding is very well defined. It's not super complex. Same thing with running a red light. Either you did run the red light or you didn't run the red light. All right? Those are examples of low required discretion. They're not super complex. Um, they're not super complex. And um, let's see, uh, let's see yeah. oh, there's not a lot of uncertainty associated with them. Okay? The other thing that we're going to look at is the contextual level of analysis. Contextual level of analysis is going to be the organizational contextual level. We're going to think about things at the macro level, kind of the higher administrators in an organization that are setting the direction of the organization, that's going to be the macro level. Then we can think about meso level, and you can loosely infer that being middle management. All right? And then you have lower levels, uh, micro levels. These are where the street level bureaucrats reside. This is where the people who are actually delivering the services on the ground in general reside. Okay? So those are going to be the two dimensions that, that we argue, and I'm going to argue to you today, that are important for thinking about what when you can use artificial discretion and what type. Okay? Everybody still with me? All right. Okay. So first of my two by two matrices, another favorite of academics is not only to come up with new terms that then they can claim, but it's to put everything in two by two matrices. All right? So I'm going to give you at least uh, two or three of these today, and one's even going to be a three by three. So sorry about that. <laughs> All right, so thinking about discretion first, all right? We're gonna, we're gonna go from this and we're gonna simplify this to low, medium, and high. But before we get there, I want you to know what I mean, what types of things factor into low, medium, and high. I've already mentioned these, but these are things like low and high uncertainty and low and high complexity, all right? And the way you can think about this is this top left here, is the uh, lowest level of discretion that's required for a situation, and it snakes like a Z, all right? So low complexity, low uncertainty is very low discretion. Low complexity, high uncertainty is a little bit more discretion. 
High complexity, low uncertainty is a little bit more discretion. And high complexity, high uncertainty requires the most discretion. And as you'll see here, I would start out by arguing that AI uh, will be most useful in these low discretion areas. And humans are still going to retain the most competitive advantage, if you will, in high uncertainty and high complexity areas. It's going to be the gist of where I go with this. Now you're a simple slide, low, medium, and high. Okay, That's how I want you to think about discretion as we go forward. Either very little discretion is required, some moderate level, or very big picture tasks that require a lot of discretion. Okay. So, when thinking about low, medium, and high discretion, each of the different types or different uses of artificial discretion may be more useful or more relevant or more helpful. Again, lower levels of discretion, AI is in general, artificial discretion is in general more strong, more useful, right? And the most strong, the most strong application of artificial discretion is automation, all right? And then working from there, it's going to be less strong uses of artificial discretion. It's going to be less useful for automating. So, Low discretion, automation is useful. And these medium discretion tasks, it'll be useful as a decision support tool. It's gonna to be useful for analyzing large amounts of data that might already be out there and helping, a, say, a mid-level manager make a decision. This level uh, is also useful for predicting potential future outcomes for the organization to help plan around. Right? And at high levels of discretion, it helps bring in new available structured data into the conversation, helps reduce the complexity of the data, and generate new, um, uh, new initial relationships at the highest level for strategy for these tasks that require a lot of discretion. Okay? So low, level, low levels of discretion automation is likely to be or potentially useful. Medium discretion decision support tool, predictive analytics, all right, so then we have the contextual level analysis. Remember I mentioned there are two factors for thinking about when artificial discretion might be useful. This was low, medium, and high discretion, and then these contextual levels of analysis from the organization standpoint. So again, we have the micro level, which is the individual decision maker, the street level bureaucrat, the person providing the services on the ground. Um, this is the, some of the factors that influence this. There's some authors um, Bush and Henriksen in a piece in 2018 that really give us this contextual level of analysis and how it relates to discretion. So this is not our, our kind of levels originally. We use this from Bush and Henriksen. Then you have the meso-organizational level, which is the formulation of organizational goals, formulation of routines. It's structuring the work within the organization. And then you have macro-institutional levels, which is where it's setting the rules, developing partnerships across organizations, high-level administrator tasks, okay? Now, at this point, you may think to yourself, these maybe look somewhat similar to our low, medium, and high levels of discretion. This is true. Low discretion tasks are gonna be more common at the micro level, but the micro level is also gonna have medium and high-level discretion tasks. Middle level of discretion is gonna be more common in the middle of the organization. It will have low tasks and high tasks, but you can think of a distribution of tasks 
where low discretion tasks are more common at the lowest level of the organization, medium discretion tasks are more common at the meso level, and high discretion tasks are gathering more together at the macro level. Okay? So, pointing together what I just said on a slide, putting together discretion and contextual analysis, higher levels of analysis are positively related with higher levels of discretion. So we may expect more automations at lower levels of the analysis, the micro-individual level, more data support and analytics at the organizational level, and more data generation and relationship discovery at the institutional levels. Right. I warned you that a three by three matrix was coming. Here it is, okay? This is just graphically showing and pulling together what I've been saying to you so far with some examples. Things like data interest entry, issuing licenses or permits, low discretion, micro level. Excuse me. Medium discretion, placing children in foster care, sentencing, parole. Those are still at the individual level, but they require a little bit more discretion. They have a little bit more ethical judgments, a little bit higher consequences in there. Uh, micro level decisions that have high discretion, you can think about a fast evolving emergency response situation. Very complex, lots of uncertainty, lots of deviations from the norm, hard to know exactly what's going on. The MES organization level, low discretion in the facilities operations. You can think about putting sensors in all of these rooms at your school to help make energy more efficient. Right? Hiring processes, performance management, using some of these tools to help predict who's going to be a good employee. We'll get to, you may have heard, there's some problems with this. But that's one type of task that might be useful in the middle level, the meso level of the organization with the medium levels of discretion. Things like goal setting and strategic planning done at the mid-level are things that are high discretion tasks at the meso level. All right, and we have macro institutional level um, tasks. These are things like statutory obligations that maybe can be read straight in. These are things, again, like eligibility determinations for uh, for welfare or for um, loan determinations. Policy formulation as a mid-discretion task and crisis response and emergency management we use again, all right? Okay, so with all this in mind, um, we need uh, to, to continue to think about what is going to be the impact of artificial discretion. So I made an argument to you that Intelligence is in general a link to the quality of decision making. The artificial intelligence is getting stronger in its ability to uh, handle tasks that are more complex and consist of more uncertainty. That um, artificial intelligence, artificial discretion are, can be used in three different ways, right? This is bringing in new information and organizing it, taking data that we already have and identifying causal relationships and automation. But what does this mean overall for the organization? And I'm gonna now focus on the unit of the task, which is something we've been doing, and talk about organizations as decision-making related to, to a series of tasks, right? And tasks, we argue, have a couple of characteristics that are gonna be important for thinking about how the utilization of artificial discretion might impact the overall performing of the organization. All right, these are things like task scalability, task cost, and task quality. All right, and we're going to argue that relative to human discretion, that artificial discretion is going to have some 
uh, improvements in these and some ambiguous outcomes related to these. All right? So let's go with task scalability first. Task scalability is one of the main arguments for using artificial discretion, discretion and utilizing artificial intelligence. Once it's able to complete a certain task and has the ability to actually perform it at a level that we care about, it can be scaled up massively compared to what a human can do. All right? Each human has to learn the task over and over within the organization and across organizations. Once uh, artificial intelligence can complete a task, can be scaled up and done essentially infinitely more fast than a human can do it. So per task speed of artificial discretion is going to outpace human discretion. One example that we highlight in the paper and you can think about is being able to scan social media for instances of needed help during a disaster, running with the emergency management theme. So if, uh, if you come up with an algorithm that could search social media and find examples of where need is that could be found much more quickly than a human clicking through the pictures. Along and sort of related to scalability but, uh, but separate is task cost. So this is how much does it, not only how quick, how scalable is the task completion, but how much does it cost to complete a task. And in this way, artificial discretion potentially has high cost at the outset, at the beginning of designing the algorithm, training it, getting it to work well. So there are these initial setup costs that are kind of similar to other information communication technology tools. But again, once it's able to complete a task, once the infrastructure is in place, the cost of actually completing a task is drastically lower than the cost it takes for a human to, comp to complete it and it essentially approaches zero. So much so that we talk about one of our worries is that as governments do, uh, as implementing these algorithms becomes cheaper, as they become more successful, we actually worry a little bit of an over-prioritization of cost as opposed to effectiveness, which is something that I'll come back to. Finally is task quality. So the first two, it seems like that once the task is able to be done by artificial discretion, that it can be scalable much more quickly than human discretion, and it will be much more cheaper than human discretion. Quality is a little bit of another issue. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that go into different types of tasks that humans are able to reason through almost intuitively, but particularly as we get to high levels of discretion, the impact on overall quality is a little less certain. So this goes back to a little bit of what we learned in performance management, that when you tie people to a specific metric, it turns out they really optimize on the metric. This is something that we would worry about with these algorithms of optimizing on something that isn't quite exactly the, the task that we would like it to be completing. And the question of, is it taking into all of the relevant factors? And this gets more and more concerning as we go up the scale of required discretion to complete a task. But we should also note that humans aren't always good at task quality themselves. We're bad at dealing with uncertainty. We favor in-groups. We get tired. We get lazy. Sometimes uh, we deliberately break the rules to help people. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. You can think of examples in policing where racial issues, at least in the US, are a major problem for the quality of the judicial system. There's also biases in judges and sentencing. 
Um, so there are a number of factors that while we might worry about how good the AI can complete a decision, we need to be honest and upfront about there are certain types of tasks that humans also aren't particularly good at. The other problem this is gonna create is that these biases are gonna show up in the data that we try to train the AI on, all right? So not only do human biases um, affect human decisions in negative ways, it turns out that if you train an AI on, say, sentencing parole data in the US, it's harsher towards black and Hispanic men. It's not that the AI itself decided to be racist, it's that it was trained on racist data. And this is something that we're going to have to struggle with that uh, the actual programmers are starting to wrestle with now. There's another example of Amazon trying to replace some hiring decisions with AI. They trained it on a lot of resumes, and it turns out it was discriminatory towards any resume that used the word woman. If you were a woman, if you had gone to a woman university, you were less likely to get the job. Right? Again, it's not that the AI has all of a sudden become sexist, it's that they're trained on a data that comes from a society that is sexist, right? Okay, so taking these characteristics in mind, thinking about different levels of organization, thinking about different levels of discretion, we do some basic hypothesizing about what might be the overall impact to organizations, to public administration, across five criteria five evaluative frames that we might care about. And we use uh, Salomon's uh, five criteria from the New Governance and Tools of Governance book. These criteria that we argue that we should care about are things like effectiveness, not things like, they are effectiveness, efficiency, equity, managerial capacity, and political legitimacy. I'm gonna quickly hit on each one of these to leave us some plenty of times for you to ask me questions and push back on this argument. All right. So effectiveness, uh, as, as Salomon defines it and as we define in our paper, is the relative success to, success relative to some objective, all right? It's not how much does it cost, not our, what are the disparate impacts, just how well did you achieve the objective you were set out to achieve. And maybe unsurprising at this point, we think that uh, artificial discretion will be useful in increasing overall effectiveness at levels of low discretion, things where the tasks are not super complex, where there's not a ton of uncertainty. As the level of required discretion goes up, as these tasks become more challenging, more complex, more uncertain, uh, it's, it's likely that human discretion will continue to be more effective than artificial discretion. Right? At lower levels, it seems that artificial discretion is likely to dominate human discretion across a lot of tasks and improve overall effectiveness. But again, depends on the task distribution. So for, low, for lower levels of uh, discretion in the lower levels of the organization, this might improve overall effectiveness, but for broad goal setting and planning, it's not likely to be as, as helpful. Efficiency. Efficiency is looking at the outputs or outcome relative to the cost. All right. So think back, back, back to the task scalability, the task cost, and task quality. We make the argument that uh, artificial discretion is very scalable. 
and decreases the, uh, the marginal cost of every decision to be made. So while there might be some potentially large fixed costs, uh, both high scalability and low marginal cost is likely to make artificial discretion very efficient and significantly more efficient across lots of task sets than human discretion. Right? Equity. Equity is defined in two ways by Salomon, and when we use his definition as well, which is equal treatment under the law and whether or not the provision of the services is redistributive to those who need it the most. Alright? And as I mentioned before, we argue that human discretion often sets a really low bar on this, even in democratic society, liberal democratic societies, um, the limits on human's ability to be fair is not as good as we would like it to be. All right, so we argue this sets a relatively low bar, but AI is just a tool, right? And it's based on what the data you train it is on and who designs the algorithms. And so in this way, it is very dual use. And what I mean by dual use is even if we're, uh, it can be set to purposes that are deliberately discriminatory or it can be set to purposes that are deliberately redistributive and equal. And so there's a one question of can it even do that well, given some of the training data I've already talked about. There are questions that from an equity standpoint that artificial discretion is doing a good job of this. But there's this other piece that uh, depending on who controls the algorithms and who controls the data, it might be used deliberately for inequitable outcomes, right? And it might be used deliberately to oppress, silence, harm people, right? Whereas a bureaucrat is a human, usually, on the ground providing services. There's that human element. You can only push humans so far and in certain situations and train them to be so harmful to one another. An AI, an algorithm, isn't likely to fight back with the same value set, right? Unless we specifically program it with that value set, which we're not quite able to do yet. Manageability. So, in some ways, uh, the effect here is a little ambiguous. It may reduce managerial complexity by removing humans in certain task sets and being much more effective uh, at completing a task without some of the costs that come along with managing humans and how they interact with one another in a social organization. Um, but two things kind of push back against this. One is these algorithms are often de developed and maintained by private sector companies. So there's this long-standing uh, research line in the field of public administration and public management that as you contract things out, you're in less control of it. So it's hard to continue to manage it. Also, new managerial issues arise with the use of algorithms and artificial intelligence to replace human discretion and this is sort of known as the black box problem um, which is we don't really know what all the factors were that went into sentencing and people have a right to have transparency and accountability to why they were sentenced in a certain way right it's really hard to pull back out what the actual weights that the algorithm used to make that decision I will note that uh, computer, uh, computer scientists and programmers are aware of this. Uh, and when you look at some of the most recent work in the field of artificial intelligence, they are developing some pretty quality tools to pull back out, kind of back pull out what the actual weights are by observing the decisions. There is, so there is some progress in this. Finally, um, is political legitimacy. 
So how do the people feel about this? Are they okay with, instead of your neighborhood police officer or your, neighbor, uh, your neighborhood firefighter, taking that discretion away and turning it over to a machine, right? Uh, some people maybe will be okay with that, but a lot of people may not be okay with that. This is uh, gonna depend in part on culture and how groups of people think about these things. Um, and there is some noted research uh, throughout kind of human decision-making that people are averse to algorithms making decisions for them. So psychology has a long line of literature showing that even when an expert's opinion, an expert's outcomes can be bested by a simple additive algorithm, people really still are kind of uncertain about turning over important decisions to an algorithm, even when it outperforms the human. But um, there is a general acceptance of technologies as they become familiar. So now AI is scary, it's new, um, we don't know a whole lot about it, so maybe we're like, you know, we don't want the robots taking over, really concerned about Skynet and these other issues. But over time, as the actual applications are implemented, if they are implemented well, in general, people get more comfortable with this. Uh, this probably comes before most, at least the students in the room. But for example, my parents and grandparents don't use online banking, for example, right? Because it's this idea that online banking is not safe. Right, which sounds just kind of crazy to me, even though I know there are some problems with that, right? We get more comfortable with these technologies over time. Okay. <laughs> AI capabilities are growing. Use by governments and business is growing. Discretion and governance outcomes are being impacted and will continue to be impacted. So we need to be smart about how we use these tools. There are many opportunities for improvement in governments, governance, but also there are many challenges and concerns as well. And this framework, while I hope you have some pushback on, some questions about, is one of our first attempts to try to think systematically about when this is a good idea, and when it is a good idea, which types of versions of artificial intelligence do we use, and when is it clearly a bad idea. So we, the idea is to benefit as much as possible by improving governance services while protecting against some of the major risks to using them and making governance worse. Hopefully you have questions now. Thank you.